of being wanted. Adoption was more of an agreement. Uh, it was often political. The adoptee usually was not related. Um, and it was almost always an older child or an adult that was capable of accepting the offer legally. So when we think about this idea of uh, Jesus talking about you need to count the cost, basically you need to understand the commitment that you're making. Uh, Y'all ever thought about, you know, okay, would we let our little bitty children make a commitment for marriage? You know, around the world, we, you know, okay, what? My little boy's going to marry your little girl. You know, the the adults maybe make a commitment throughout most of the world more than the kids, right? Because why? The kids aren't capable of figuring that out, doing that right. We got this, you know, because we understand, right? But there's this idea that we know that there needs to be some understanding involved in that, right? There's a commitment. There's, you know, there's cost. There's sacrifice. There's responsibility. And until you're able to understand that, uh, really, you probably shouldn't be doing it. So, this idea of adoption um, required some bit of ability to make a commitment, uh, understanding to make one. So, the major changes for the adoptee, family, name, home, and responsibilities. Um and I could add, really, uh, inheritance, right? You get that new, you know, there's this new relationship. There's this idea of inheritance as well. Uh, because you know somebody's not making that decision just so they can work harder <laughs> or so they can add responsibilities, right? There's a benefit. Uh, now, if you are out of one of the slave classes, you know, obviously... And you're adopted into one of these wealthier families, which is how it usually works, because they recognize your worth or your work ethic or whatever. Uh, certainly, there would be some benefits before uh, your benefactor died, but mostly practiced by the rich, though, for inheritance or politics. Uh, so, um, the positions were inherited. Do you remember how? The Jews, remember how the land worked and how the inheritance worked with the Jews? Uh, the promise was inherited through birth. Uh, on, the, on the Roman side, this idea of adoption, the practice was for inheritance often of a position or, you know, uh, a position of influence by inheritance. You know, think about uh, a lot of Europe and the history of Europe, you know, the the eldest son, it was the practice there, and they would inherit the manor and all of the people and all of the things that came with it. They'd get all those responsibilities. Um, but the adoptees were treated as having equal or greater place than the natural-born son. And um, when you think about why would they have done that, why would that practice exist, well... Um, you ever, you ever known of a a, a child that rejected um, 
home and family and responsibility and all the good things that they had been offered. When you think about that, I see your heads nodding because I know you know what I'm talking about. Ever think about the Jews and their rejection of their inheritance through Christ um, and how in the New Testament this was being offered, this adoption opportunity was offered to all. It's interesting how that works when you think about it. Something else worth noticing, um, the concept of born again, uh, this idea of Jewish converts, um, new family, new name, home responsibilities, you know, when you think about the proselytes or, you know, those uh, coming in in that way, um, that would have been something that uh, they could have understood. Um, for the Greek or Roman uh, converts, the idea of adoption helped illustrate the very same things. Like for the Jews, the Jewish converts, you know, this idea of what a proselyte would might go through, you know, this inheritance of those new things. Um, for the Gentiles, they would have understood it through their own culture. Um, <clears throat> this is Vine's definition of adoption. The place and condition of a son given to one to whom it does not naturally belong. Have you ever thought in terms of do you naturally merit or deserve the offer that's been made? Do we think of ourselves as having merit because of who we are and how great we are or whatever, the, the adoption promise, the adoption offer that's been made to us as Christians? Hopefully not. Because if you get what you naturally deserve, that wouldn't be good, would it? Smith, uh, an expression used by Paul in reference to the present and prospective privileges of Christians, the relationship was to all intents and purposes the same as existing as existed between a natural father and son. So those are the two uh, predominant definitions uh, that I found. Old Testament sonship. So we're going to go through uh, some of these references so you can um, get a feel for how that stuff was seen. So Exodus 4.22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And you, we understand the context, this Exodus, we understand the context of this statement. Uh, think about the implications of what this is saying. Uh, God's attitude towards his people, who he recognized them to be. Uh, 2 Samuel 7, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. When Israel was a youth, I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son. 
So, you know, think about that physical kingdom and think about uh, how God saw those people and, and this idea of sonship. Deuteronomy 26. The Lord has today declared you to be his people of treasured possession as he promised you and that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made for praise, fame, and honor and that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God as he has spoken. And think about the responsibilities that you begin to see as we go through these verses for the son, for that position of the heir. All right, this idea of responsibility by my name. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. So all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will be afraid of you. Um, this idea that in his name or in his family, uh, because you're associated with him, what are the benefits? How will other people see you? How will you interact with them? This idea of expectations. Isaiah 63, for he said, Surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their savior. So, you know, begin to look at, you know, there's, there's benefit and there's responsibility and try to understand that choice that's being, you know, that's being made really daily uh, by those that would be his, right? Uh, did that inheritance fall to every single one, every single Jew that was born and was circumcised into sonship? What do you think? What was it dependent on? And what do we find in scriptures that, you know, how, did the son have some responsibilities or he just born, you know, oh, here it is and we got it, right? Um, Jeremiah 3.19, uh, then I said, how would I set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations? And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from following me. Okay, I'm going to do these wonderful things for you, and you're going to follow me. And and how and and is there a relationship? Uh, is there a way that he intends to be viewed and dealt with? Proverbs fourteen twenty six. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and His children will have refuge. So we see this idea of protection. Uh, you know, by the last verses as well, this idea of a beautiful inheritance and a loving father, uh, a good name. Uh, you know, if you think back about some of those last verses that we just read, you can see all those things in those verses. An inheritance that can't be lost. Hmm. 
So Deuteronomy 32, 5. They have acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is not your father, is not he your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you. Think about uh, some of the things right there that you see in that verse. Um, you know, even today, and I deal with this a good bit in my job, This, I, you know, I see this inheritance and how those things play out. And it can, be a, it can be a mess. And you'll see sometimes that these instruments that people will leave for them, you know, well, if they do this or that or when they get this old or, you know, there'll be some conditions set on some of those things. But a lot of times, you know, folks just, okay, well, he's one of mine, so here you go. But we don't really see that here. Um, and think about, is not he your father who has bought you? And, and what does that mean in this idea? You know, we're having this discussion of, of they are not his children because of their defect. We're having this, uh, this conversation about children and fathers. Is is not he your father who has bought you? <clears throat> so this is that Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I'm going to put it up here. I think I've already got it pulled up. Yeah. All right. So let's read this together and, and try to think about it in terms of the thoughts that we've been discussing. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Let me stop right here. I, I meant to say this. So one of the things in, in our conversations at home that I find that I don't do too well and I find that maybe sometimes it's difficult in the scriptures as well is who's the pro, who, who are we talking about the pronouns here? You know, my wife's laughing right now. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. So, uh, who, you know, we see all these pronouns. Is it important who these are? So think about um, as you go through here, see in, in verse 4, he chose us and him. So we know the Bible helps us with the the, who, who God is, you know, we see the capital letters, you know, the capital over there and the capital here and the capital here. Okay, we know who that is. Who's that character, right? So think about just as he chose us and him. So is he saying us, the apostles? Is he saying us, me and you at Corinth? Is he saying us, me and these other teachers up here? You know, Try to wrap your mind around who these pronouns are as we as we do these next couple of readings. Um, I'm gonna say that you know a lot of times as we're reading through those things, we we discover okay, well this is kind of a narrative we're we're seeing a story unfold necessarily, and some of these things it's us, and we know that inherently because of the way it's being played out, this this is you and me too, right? This is also us, Christians that are in the same condition with the Ephesians here. So, 
think about who the us is as we go through there. So just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we, we, that's us too, would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intentions of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration uh, suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in him. We also have obtained an inheritance having, be pre- having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to, to the praise of his glory in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the, <coughs> the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own uh, possession to the praise of his glory. So, when we're talking through this um, and thinking about this idea of the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, um, you know, remember that this is an offer being made Um this idea of predestination, we'll let Evan follow up next week or whatever with regard to this if he would like. But, um, you know, the, uh, the response that we see that we need to make for this inheritance as we go through these verses today, um, you know, this is a, it's a great offer. But you have responsibility in what we see there. There's things for us to do. And that's what we discovered last night, or last week, when we were going through those symbols as well. So, Ephesians 1 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. Um, this mystery that's revealed to us, um, you know, would the Jews at eight days old or at birth uh, have the understanding of some mystery? You know, what's the importance of a discussion of mystery Uh, being revealed in this discussion of an adoption if it's not an adoption that's made with understanding. Here's this Romans, Romans 8, 18 through 30. I'm going to put it up there too. All right. For 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, we also ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, For in hope we have been saved, but the hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with the groanings too deep for words. And he searches the hearts, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among among many brethren." And these who he predestined, he also called. And these who he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now there's a lot of stuff that people kind of pass through when they're reading this passage. But um, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. What's this idea of being conformed to the image of his Son? except for to be like him, right? Um, So, Galatians 3.26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that he might receive the adoption as sons, because you are sons. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, saying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And, a, and if a son, then an heir through God. Um, this idea of family, Matthew twelve fifty. For whosoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. So, you know, as you go through all of these verses and you begin to look, you see that this idea of being like him or like the Son or following the image of the Son um, also has to do with doing the will of the Father like the Son did. Um if you're going to be part of that family, be part of that family. A new name. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And you think about what name 
is important to you? What relationship uh, do you have with the world? A new home. Revelations 3.12 He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him uh, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. So, and this is kind of the theme of this, which, you know, this idea of obedience is the theme of a lot of things that we do here and say here. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Okay. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to, the, to ungrateful and evil men. You know, this is talk of... You know, follow the example that you've been set, uh, that's been set by Christ, His Son, to be a son. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be uh, sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, Philippians 2.15, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. You know, this idea of, you know, I'm living in the world, but I'm not going to be like the world. I'm going to be like the son was. I'm going to be like a child of God or what, you know, we see that that entails. Starting in Hebrews 12, 6 here. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Okay. So here's a set of questions. Why leave my natural inheritance? Everybody knows what their natural inheritance would be, right? Um, But as many as received him, to them he gave uh, the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, 
the beginning and the end I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of, wa- of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And this, this verse was referenced already this morning. Um, but you see that um, this idea, he who overcomes will inherit these things. Um, you know, he who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. I mean, you see what the condition is here. Um, and I think it's appropriate that the first part of verse 8 says, but for the cowardly. You know, evidently there's going to be some things that are going to require some bravery or some boldness to overcome. Okay. Let's read this one as well. All right, 1 through 10. See how great the love of the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, we are the children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But know that when He appears, we will be like Him because He will we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and the sin and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he and you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his deeds abide in him and he cannot sin, because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. You know, I think back about some of the things that were in Evan's lesson this morning, this idea of, you know, purifying... um, yourself this idea of uh, going through trials and getting better you know this idea of growth Um, but um, you know this idea that uh, his children can be identified by how they act is not really a foreign concept I mean it's something that we recognize here you know um that batch of wild kids from up the street, 
come from the wild parents up the street. You know, oh, that must be one of those guys. You know, and they name them. You know, oh, yeah, that those belong up there with those folks, right? You know, uh, can folks recognize us as being in the family of God? And we hope so. <clears throat> So that emphasis in verse 10 there, by, the, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And, you know, the comment I've got right down there at the bottom, you know, is this idea of a broken do-right or a, or a broken heart, this idea of a heart that doesn't love his brother. You know, if you're not practicing righteousness and you don't love your brother, um, are you really a part of that family? So there's a great offer, a better name, a family, a better family, uh, certainly a much better inheritance. Um one of the things that we see in what all we read today is that the terms of that relationship and the terms of that adoption, who are they set by? Are they set by the one that benefits from it or the one that has established the benefits, the one from which the inheritance comes? Where do we understand those terms would come from? Have you ever heard the golden rule, he who has the gold rules? Right? Does that make sense? It does make sense. We know how it works. That's how it works. Uh, he makes the terms. And you know, just like we talked about earlier, you know, with regard to this idea of bearing the old man of sin, uh, putting on the new man, uh, we've talked about that many times in here. When do we do that? We do, we do that one time? Or do we do that every day? Do that every day. All right. So that's that's the end of my lesson. I mean, I I think as you go through uh, lessons like last week and this week, you know, this idea of what's involved in becoming a Christian. What are the symbols that we find there? Uh, understanding uh, the cost, the commitment that's made when you decide you're going to be a Christian. Uh, as we uh, contemplate those things together in the setting. You know, I think most of us here that would be of age have already made that decision, made that commitment. But, you know, the thing that we often have to consider is, you know, where am I now? You know, do I look like somebody who is of the family of God? Are my actions... Uh, Righteousness. Do I practice righteousness? Do I love my brethren? And if you find yourself struggling with those things um, and you need the help of the saints uh, here today, what we would encourage is that you would come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected, number 338. The great physician now is near the sympathizing 